0: If you have your Bibles, open with me to Exodus 20 as we continue and finish this series on uh, the Big Ten. Uh, Everybody had a good Thanksgiving? Anybody have a good Thanksgiving? All right, good, all right. Uh, We did too. Uh, Had a great meal. My kid Ben is uh, becoming quite the chef. I think I've reported this already, Uh, but he is just crushing it in the kitchen. Made almost all of the uh, the food for this uh, past Thanksgiving meal that we had as a family. I was in charge of the casseroles, and if I do say so myself, did pretty good job. Not lying. Uh, Corn casserole and green bean casserole, super easy. I recognize all the people who are like whatever, Mark, (laughs) but felt pretty good about. But other than that, uh, Ben did the whole thing, uh, and. uh, th- this is what I associate Thanksgiving with, lists. We've kind of been going, one, uh, going through one here in Exodus 20, uh, but isn't Thanksgiving about a lot of lists? It starts with the grocery list, right? Anybody go to the grocery store this week? Did anybody go when everybody else was there? That was a panic. Uh, but I, I meticulously walked through the list that I'd been given by my son and my wife and everybody else who contributed and tried to get everything for our, our meal. I think it was all there. Uh, Usually around this time, when Thanksgiving's done, that signals the uh, opportunity for my family members to give me their Christmas lists. This has been happening since my kids kids could speak or write. And uh, and now they're more, this is what I've noticed, they're more expensive, these lists now of these 20-somethings and the things they want. It's like everything is high dollar. And so there's a shorter list now of the things that uh, they might receive at christmas but lists are a part of life and lists are a part of our scripture i'm so grateful that god kind of just says hey man this these things that 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 that," and that's what he gives us here in these 10 words as the bible refers to them or as we call them the ten commandments we've walked through a bunch of them we've seen that they apply uh, to every vital aspect of life to our worship um, to our purpose, you know we need to make sure that we don 't bear the lord 's name in vain. That kind of is a peekaboo on what the purpose of life is is to is to, is to bear god 's name well and to honor this God who created us in his image we 've learned how to, to handle our calendars to remember the Sabbath as a time to rest and reset he 's talked to us about how to function in our homes so that honor is birthed there, born there, bred there, and, and trickles out into the rest of society as the family is the building block of of all uh, of humanity. Now, yeah. it, it, it's, it's revealed to us the ways that uh, we meant to, to function uh, in relationships. So it, it limits the, 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 uh, the amount of our justice. We, we aren't to murder anybody. It, uh, it, it helps us understand our sexuality. We should not commit adultery. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't, uh, as we're gonna talk about today, lie, and we shouldn't covet, all these things, keys to living a life uh, that flourishes and that honors our God Um, let me get to those last two as we begin this morning. And uh, as we talk about truth and satisfaction today, here's my hope. My hope is that all of us would understand God's truth and function in it. Stay there, not go outside of it. And certainly in our relationships with each other, as this command is gonna reveal to us, that we would live truthfully in relationship with each other, that we would honor each other with the truth as we go through life together. The other thing I hope we'll do is that we'll walk out of here satisfied with what God has given us on a weekend where we talk about being thankful. uh, Certainly, this is where God wants us to live, and he wants us to know that when we step outside of his design and his provision and his hopes for us, his his pattern for us, um, that's where the trouble lies. Truth and satisfaction, let's talk about both. God wants the truth, say it with me. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think uh, uh, we still say that as we get ready to get in the box at a, uh, uh, at a courtroom or in a courtroom, wherever we're testifying, uh, hand on a Bible, hand in the air, truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. Has anybody seen Law and Order? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, that's what this command here at the back end of the 10 tells us. Uh, we are to... Uh, not bear false witness against our neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against those that you live with in life. As has been the case with each of these commands, there's lots to tease out and suss out and all of this, but, but let's start where this command originates, which is the courtroom. This is a, a legal statement, uh, and it was necessary because Israel, as they've come out of slavery and out of Egypt, uh, was existing in a time and in a place where um, no forensics, no CSI, right? And so basically, if there was a complaint that had come, would come to the court in, in Egypt or in other cultures, um, it would just be eyewitnesses, your word against mine. And in most of the cultures of the time, it would just need to be one person's uh, you know, testimony against yours. And if the judge believed them, even if it was untrue, that would be all that was necessary. It would be done. Case closed. So God ups the ante. He ups the, the standards, as it were, uh, with this command. He basically said, hey, um, nobody in our community is going to be convicted on the basis of one witness's testimony. He says as much in the second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means, second law. In uh, 1915 of that book, it says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or even preferably three witnesses shall a charge be established corroborating witnesses we call them today in our legal system you have to have evidence that goes beyond the one Um, deuteronomy goes on and says listen if if a person uh falsely testifies against somebody in court it's going to be bad for them look what it says in verse 16 if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrong of wrongdoing we call that perjury And then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the offices of those days. And the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, if you're caught in perjury, then you shall do to that person what he had meant to be done to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. You know what it says in the next verses after this, that age-old saying that we uh, hear Jesus deal with in Matthew chapters 5 and 6, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. You know what that saying is tied to? False witnesses. If you're going to come into the court and lie about somebody, you're going to get what you hoped your you know, victim was going to receive. Interesting to note too, did you know that the person who uh, would bear testimony against somebody in a court of law, if it was a capital offense, they were in charge of throwing the first rock. That's why when Jesus uh, was hanging out with the woman who committed adultery, remember that story? And he says, uh, if there's anybody here uh, who is, you know, fit, fit to do this or without sin, let them be the first to cast the first stone. He, he wasn't making stuff up on a, on a whim. He was just quoting the, the, the Israeli law code. Hey, everybody here who's got the right to throw rocks, start throwing them. Fascinating stuff. So these uh, legal safeguards were designed to protect the innocent from injustice, to protect people from the power of lies. Uh, But (laughs) as you probably know, uh, this command goes way beyond the courtroom because we live in a world that is bereft with deceit, with misinterpretations and misguidances now, we are a people and a, a humanity who love to lie we lie all the time in too many ways I was walking through the through the through the room this morning before the first service started and I saw this sweet young girl over she was sitting right over in this section and she was bundled under her dad's coat and I said oh are you cold like that's the universal sign for I'm cold right you know and she's like she she was nice she didn't say duh But her eyes said, duh, and uh, she said, yes. And I said, well, you know, the great news is is that we got warming blankets coming. I was kidding, right? We don't have, just if you're wondering, oh, cool, where are they? We don't have any warming blankets. And I said it in jest, but I'm about to preach on lying, and I'm like, there I go. I just totally, I mean, right to a sweet, young, cold girl, I totally lied to her face. And I apologize. And she's got to be like, I knew you were kidding. I was like, yeah, but it's so easy to do this lying thing. It just falls from my head without me even trying. I've got a master's in deceit, just like the rest of you. Turn to someone next to you and talk about all the ways that we as humans are just pros at lying to each other. How do we lie? What, What are the ways that lies come into existence through us? Go ahead and tell someone and don't lie when you tell them those things. You guys are talkative. That's you're better than the first service. That's not a lie. That's true. All right, everybody got some? All right, for the sake of all the different rooms that and that we're talking to, I'm just going to list some of the ones that I had. Is that okay? Can we just start with the most obvious one, the bold face lie? Is there everybody is it like kids are great at these and and we get more sophisticated about it as adults, but um but kids are just they're just bold-faced liars sometimes. Like, my favorite YouTube clips are the clips of the kid uh, who is standing in the hallway where the entire wall has been defaced by a Sharpie marker. He's holding the Sharpie marker. His face is covered with Sharpie marker. Like, there, and there's no one else in the house, right? And, and this parent who, parents quit taking videos of your children so much, but this parent, in a moment where he should be dis- disciplining his kid, says, well, this will work on YouTube, and starts, so tell us, Junior, what'd you do? And you can see the kid starting to think. His little four-year-old brain's going like, "How am I going to get out of this?" I'm holding the marker. I'm covered. It's like, "Okay, how am I?" Gonna? And, he, and this is what he does. This is this is a physical uh, trait uh, that has been proven. I, I think. I hope this isn't a lie. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you look up and to the right, you're accessing the creative side of your brain. So, uh, uh, if, if you're ever like, you know, in a poker game with someone, and you want to find out if they're bluffing. Look them in the eye. If they're doing this. All in. Yeah, call. That's what you do. You, you call them right there. Something like poker? Anyway, anyway, anyway. My point is this. This kid, you can just see their eyes go up and to the right, and they start concocting this story about a unicorn that flew in the window and forced me to hold this and took my hand. And, and, and you've done it and I've done it. We are born with this ability to bold-face lie just right to someone's face when it serves us most. But most of us in here have figured out that's not the best way to lie. That can be proven pretty quickly to be wrong. And so we, uh, we tend to lie on the fringes, lie on the edges, right? We'll just add convenient lies to stories. We'll invent and fabricate, uh, sometimes like on our resume. We'll make ourselves look a little bit better to whoever you know, we're hoping to hire us. A guy did that uh, in recent years as he was taking the job at uh, the University of Notre Dame to be the football coach. And someone did a deep dive on this guy's resume and realized like whole sections of it weren't true. They were kind of true. Like he did go to the school, he just didn't play football there. And, and, and so as these things started to unravel, um, it became very clear that this guy could, uh, you know, or should not probably coach this team having fibbed on his dossier. You wanna know where the, the home of these kinds of deceits lives now? Online. Social media. I mean, that's best foot forward right there, right? Like everybody's going for their, you know, their, uh, whatever, the, the front page. And no one takes it from down here, right? Because that's where your nine chins come in, right? So everybody's up here, you know, looking as skinny as they possibly can. I know some people, they'll just sit there and they'll take pictures over and over again until they get the right one so that they can look their very best. And anything that they put in there about themselves in their profile, it's all the shiniest stuff, all the greatest stuff. No one says, well, I overeat. You know, no no one ever says that. Or, you know, uh, know, I'm a real jerk to my wife sometimes. No one ever puts that stuff in there. It's just all the shiny stuff. You know, I like cars and whatever, okay. (laughs) These would be forms of equivocation. Anybody remember that vocab word? to equivocate, equivocation is like a synonym of lying, but it's this form of lying that uh, uses ambiguous language so as to conceal the truth or avoid committing oneself to something. That last part, I totally get. Has anybody ever kinda not told the whole truth so you didn't have to go out on that Friday night with that person to that place? I should see more heads nodding, everybody's done that. Everybody's totally done that, and you didn't lie. You just didn't give the whole truth because you didn't want to tell them, no, I don't want to hang out with you. And so you kind of softened it for them, right? I was a sophomore in college. We took a poster board. We plastered the entire, uh, all the walls of our dorm room, my roommate and I, with poster board. And we started, we were huge David Letterman fans. And at the time, top 10 lists were his big deal. Every night he'd have a top 10 list. And so we just started putting some of our favorite top 10 lists. And then we just started forming others. And we invite uh, guys on our floor to come in and contribute to these top 10 lists. One of our top 10 lists was worst excuses ever given to us by a girl that we asked out. And I had a bunch and somebody, my friend, but this, I kid you not, one, this is the truth, not lying. This, this one friend of mine from down the hall comes down and he says, Oh, well, I got one. And, it, and number four on the top 10 list was, oh, I can't go out with you Friday night. I have to wash my hair. That's what this girl told this guy as an excuse for why she couldn't go out. Ladies, I would tell you that's just sloppy. That's just not even trying. You wash your hair all the time. There's not like a designated seven o'clock Friday night hair wash. We, we, Guys aren't that dumb. We're dumb, but we're not that dumb. She should have just told him, you're not my type. You seem really nice, uh, but we're not ever gonna go out, ever have a nice day. That would have been better, fellas, right? Because then we think, oh, well, maybe Saturday night she's not washing her hair. God. And then she's gotta come up another one with another one of these equivocations, and it just goes on and on and on. <clears throat> yeah, uh, it's gotten to the point where I, 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 I have a hard time trusting um, news feeds. Is anybody with me on this? I'm not, I, I, don't, I wanna be, I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist. There's, there's maybe some of you out there. I'm not that person. But I, I have, I think we've gotten to the age where every truth is slanted in somebody's direction, politically or otherwise. And so I, and, and, it's, and it's all about clickbait. We've heard this term. People want you to click on their articles, so they'll, they'll, you know, emblazon these huge headlines that may be loosely tied to some truth, and they make you click on them. And then you quickly realize, no, none of this is really tied to what the headline was, but that's what got me to click. We have uh, sections of newspapers dedicated to ch- fact-checking uh, what our politicians tell us, because not one of them is saying the full thing. They're saying whatever slants it best for them. We have entire portions of our language dedicated to assuring whoever we're talking to. Yes, I'm not lying. So we say things like "seriously," "for real." I, how about this one? Has anybody had this one said to them recently? I'm not going to lie. That's like how people open a sentence. And I, I, someone said to me that other day we were golfing. I was like, "Well, good." Should I take from that that most of what you've said to me before has been a lie? Who are you? I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's basically the standard we're hoping for. I'm lying, I'm dying. Scout's honor, whatever that is. Truth be told. Come on, we've got all these phrases that basically let people know. Yeah, everything else I've said, not true. This you really need to pay attention. Now, this, listen, this all comes about um, because of sin, because of the nature that we have imputed to us from Adam and Eve. The first sins, and we 've talked about that as we've walked through the ten, you know lots of of the original sin is tied to many of these standards that God has given us, but can we all admit or at least agree that that the first sin the pre, precursor to all the other sins was the lie that started sin in the first place like i 'm going back before Adam and Eve, you know what the first sin was this the guy Lucifer was hanging out in heaven and he conjures in his head as an angel, a created being of God. you know what I could be just as powerful as God in fact I should be just as powerful as God, and he convinces a lot of the other angels that God created to follow him, and those become, or he becomes, and they become, uh, Satan and, and the demons that we are in a spiritual battle against, and his mission is to be the liar. He's the father of lies, and so he can't make Adam and Eve sin, he can't shove the fruit in their face, but he can convince them that this is a great idea. I know God gave you one rule, one rule. One rule but here's why it's okay to break it. Lie, 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 lie. And then the the thing that preceded Adam and Eve's sin was the lie that they told themselves. This will work out for us. Come on, people. Every stupid thing you ever did in your life started with that sentence. This is going to work out somehow. It starts with a lie, All, uh, all of God's laws do not apply to me. You might not utter them out loud, you'd look like a fool if you did. But in your minds and in your hearts, you lie to yourself and then boom, off goes the mess. That's why I'm grateful that God in his love and mercy and grace sent us the truth. His name is Jesus. And when he hit the planet, he came to this world to re-reveal and restore the truth that God created us into. John, as he describes our Savior, calls him the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. John, who was a witness to Jesus, he walked in life with him, says, we've seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, who was full of grace, and say it with me, truth. Jesus came so that the truth might reign in our hearts. He spoke, and every time he spoke, he spoke truth. He's sitting in one of his last human conversations with the guy that would deliver his judgment, a guy named Pontius Pilate. And they're having this conversation at the back end of the Gospel of John. And Pilate says to him, hey man, so are you a king? I mean, that's why we're here. That's why they woke me up. Someone told me that you think you're king and Caesar's not. That you're not only a blasphemer against the Hebrew religion by saying that you're God, but you're also an insurrectionist and and, and a threat to the Roman Republic because you're a king. Is that true? Jesus answered, well, I guess that's what you're saying. You say I'm a king. Maybe other people say I'm a king. But let me tell you what's going on here. For this purpose... Jesus said, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. To bear witness to the what? I'm here for the truth to be told. I'm here for the truth to come back into the story of humanity. Then he says this. He says, everyone who is of the truth. I wish the Bible would make this truth capital T. That would help us. Like this is the big truth. Everyone who is of this one singular God-designed, God-created truth, everyone who is in line with God and, 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 and restored to God and freed from sin, everyone who is of this truth has listened to my voice and heeded the things that I've said. Remember what Pilate said after that? He says what so many people in the world say. Ah, what is truth, right? Because that's the big debate right now. Whose truth do I listen to? Truth has become subjective. Your truth, yours. Your truth, yours. My truth is mine. We have this conversation in my house. My kids are out there, you know, dining on, tasting from the other truths that this world has to to offer them. It's frustrating as a parent. Anybody got that, kid? I'm like, no, you know the truth. You grew up in the truth. We've taught you the truth. The truth hasn't changed. But like Pilate, ah, what is truth? Let me go find. Let me go find. Pilate wasn't aware that Jesus had already answered his question four chapters earlier when he's hanging out with his friends he's telling them about this place that he's going to build for them, this place that I prepare for you. I'll go there so that you can follow me. And then he says, and you know the way to get there. And then Thomas says to him, I don't know the way. I don't know what you're talking about. Remember what Jesus says? Well, Thomas, yeah, I've been showing you the way the whole time that we've known each other. I Am the way. And then what's he say next? I am the truth. And it's through my truth and by walking in my way that you can receive me because I am the life. I am what life is about. I'm the one who can connect you to the Father. And by the way, nobody else can. No one else comes to the Father except through me and the truth that I've given you. And I'm grateful to be a recipient of God's grace and truth. I'm grateful to, by faith, have chosen Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. It's made all of the difference in my life. It's why I get up here and flap my gums at you every week. I mean, this is more than a paycheck to me. This this is my life. I have rooted everything that I am in this one truth that there is a God That he made me to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That sin has separated me from him. And it's only by the grace that he gives me in his son Jesus Christ that I can be reconnected to him and I can walk in this truth that I'm walking in. That is, that's everything if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for it. I hope you are too. Hope that got popped into your conversations at the Thanksgiving table. What are we thankful for? I hope you said, I'm thankful for the truth that I've received through Christ. Let me talk about where this command as it's given in Exodus 20 kind of points us. It points us to the relationships that we have. I know we've talked about this before. The first three or four commands, depending on how you're counting, are all about our relationship with God and how we honor him. And then the last six or seven commands are all about our relationship with each other, our neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength love your neighbors as you love yourselves this is the only command that actually includes your neighbor do not bear false witness against your neighbor so how do we handle lying on this plane well let me be real blunt don't lie to your neighbor thank you yeah just don't do it don't lie to your neighbor don't intentionally mislead people. It says in Ephesians chapter 425, therefore, having put away falsehood, having been saved from the lie that we were born into in our sin, having put away falsehood, let's, lead, let's each one of us speak truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. And when it says that we're members of one another, it gives us the implication of what deceit and falsehood does to the one anotherness. It separates it. It brings mistrust. It, it, it degrades and destroys relationship. Who remembers hearing the story, Boy Who Cried Wolf Growing Up? Anybody know that one? Everybody knows how that goes, right? Kid talks about there being a wolf over and over again. Townspeople come out to save him and the flocks from this wolf. He's a liar. What do the townspeople start uh, feeling about this kid? Contempt. They don't believe him. He's wasting their time so that when finally the wolf does come and the kid is literally screaming, wolf, 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 all the people are down in town going like, yeah, whatever. And the flock's lost and the kid's lost and the moral of the story is, don't lie to your neighbor! Don't mislead them. It's gonna wreck your relationships. There's a second aspect of lying that we must come against. It's not one that we talk about all the time, but it's certainly embedded in this command that we need to heed. Lying uh, is these bold-faced you know, utterances of falsehood, but lying, can also come in the form of us not telling the truth. Us withholding the truth from our relationships. Don't hold back on someone. It's not a sin to tell someone the truth. And a lot of times we're just too nice. We just don't want to tell them the truth. And listen, tell the truth in love. Be nice about it. But don't withhold the truth. Because here's what's happening. If you withhold the truth and she withholds the truth and they withhold the truth, then all of a sudden this person's trying out for American Idol and they can't sing. Right? And and for the sake of everybody being nice, there's this calamitous event in this person's life who was led to believe that they were something that they weren't and everything falls apart. And so when you and I withhold the truth, we harm. We think we're doing a good thing, but we're doing something that's dangerous and damaging to the people who need to hear it. Now that does not mean saying, go blow the doors off right after church is over. But that is me saying, if something needs to be said, By God's grace and in his spirit, say it with love so that truth can reign in your relationship. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with couples whose marriages are ending, whose families are imploding because they've just been nice to each other for a long time. And one of them or both of them can't take it anymore. And now it's past the point of fixing, at least in their minds. Bible tells us in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between him and you, and or you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother, and good things can come from that. It goes on and talks about if that doesn't happen, do these things. But, but there is this mandate that, man, if something's not right in my relationship, I got to talk about it, and I got to speak the truth, like it says uh, in Ephesians 4. I got to speak the truth in love. And, and here's why: because we all want to grow up in every way into him who had the head in Christ. This honesty is part of our discipleship. It's a part of us growing up and becoming like Christ. Everybody gets that Jesus told a lot of truths that were not popular. The reason they hung him from a cross is because lots of people who heard his truth were offended by him. He's called the scandalon. In Greek that means the stumbling block. He was scandalous to people because of his truth. Didn't make him popular with everybody. But he was committed to telling the truth and it made a difference. You and I are sitting here as the beneficiaries of, right? And so, listen, some of you need to leave here, and again, not blowing the doors off, but in a very kind way, you need to go to that person who you know that you know that you know is in sin against you or in sin against their own family or in sin in just some general way, and you need to have that tough conversation like the prophets of Israel had with the nations of Israel or the nation of Israel. You need to get up on the city streets and just say, hey, man, I love you, but this is wrong. I saw a guy uh, recently, the last couple months, um, who left his wife last year. I was actually front row for the unraveling of their marriage. Painful. Desperate stuff. At the time, he gave me a song and dance about all these, you know, truths about what was wrong with his relationship. But he didn't tell me he already had another girlfriend. And then he was, you know, super excited to be done with this marriage and moving in with her. And so, I, I you know, I, I love this guy. I've had a relationship with him for years. I saw him out in the world and said hi and smiled and you we know, don't shake hands these days, but you know, bump fist, how you doing? Just small talk and I walked away from that feeling like, man, that wasn't it. So I got on my phone and I texted him and I just said, Hey bro, good to see you today, glad you're doing okay, but I left some stuff out. Here's the deal. If no one else is willing to tell you this, I love you enough to do so. The things that you've done, the things that you continue to do, the stuff that's going on in your life is dishonoring to God, it's damaging to your previous marriage with your ex-wife and it's just gonna eventually be a damage to you and your kids. And I'm here, by God's grace, with whatever pieces we got left to work with to try to figure this out. And I love you, I'm not turning my back on you, but you need to hear it from me That what you're doing is wrong. I am not your judge. I don't have any stones to throw. I'm a wicked evil person myself. But a spade is a spade. This is wrong. And that's loving people. Hard. I didn't get texted back. I don't know where the next things are. You know in this relationship. But that's the truth. And we need to live by that. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness, the command says in Exodus 20. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. So that means don't say things that aren't true about them. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't be malicious with your speech. Don't go to, you know, life group and say, you know what, we need to pray for so-and-so. And then gossip the whole I know in the South we've always had this as kind of our safeguard. Well, bless his heart, and then we can say whatever we want. But I want you to know, if you're speaking falsely, or get this, if you're saying things that are true but aren't necessary, that's what gossip is. If you're just, you know, uh, throwing shade on people because it's fun, and just so you know, it's not fun. It makes you feel better about you. That's why you're tearing them down, because somehow your boat rises when their boat sinks. Paul says to the Ephesians in the Ephesians four, he says, "Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. If you don't have something." i won't say good that's the adage right if you don't have something good to say don't say something at all how about this if you don't have something true to say something right to say don't stop it good that bar's too low here's some questions to ask yourself before you open your yaps here we go is what i'm about to say true if it's not stop catch yourself has anybody done that I was talking with a construction guy when we were building our house First, first years we got here. We built a house and whatever. Anyway, um, I got into this conversation about the potential of us putting in a pool. Not, it's not sinful to have a pool. If you have a pool, God loves you, okay? I didn't have the money to put in a pool. Uh, and I should have just said that from the start, but I started saying to this guy, you know, we could investigate. You know, maybe Give you some bids on some pools and stuff like that. And he went to all this work to find out if we could put a pool where we're building this house. And then he comes back and he says, here's what we got. And I said, you know what? I should have just told you from the very beginning. I had no business even talking about a pool. We're not going to build a pool. He's like, so what would you have me do all this stuff for? He's like, I don't know. I just lied to you. I, just, I don't know why I did. I just totally lied to you. I, I, made, I don't know. Maybe I wanted you to think like I had the, you know, the, 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 the money to put it. I don't know what I did. Why do we lie? Most of us don't know why we're doing it while we're doing it. And I remember that guy just looking at me like, I mean, he's a Christian. He's a brother. He goes to another church. We're friends. We're fine now. But I remember in those, you know, I'm a new pastor in town. He must have been thinking, what has life gotten themselves into? this guy's going to lie about whether he can put a pool in his house, what's he saying from the stage? That's what lying does. It erodes. The trust is what I'm about to say true. If it is true, does it really need to be said to this person in this conversation? Is this really going to move the ball forward? And then lastly, if it is true, would I put it this way if the person I'm talking about were here to listen? You know, uh... The keyboard has made us all brave. We will write all kinds of mess from the safety of a keyboard, and we'll troll other trolls and just troll on, troll on, you know? But it is, (laughs) it is the conversation of the devil to just sit there and elevate and escalate and, and exaggerate and lie and, and, and to bedevil and, and uh, just I get so crazy that 's why i 'm not on social media all the time i 'm lazy mostly that 's the truth but but, but I, I just think its it 's the playground of cowards who will tweet and forward and say whatever they feel like they want to say without any repercussions it doesn 't make you big it doesn 't make you cool it doesn 't make you smarter than better than. It just reveals the nature that you've been born into. Wow, that, that got heated. <laughs> Let's move on to the last one, and I'll let you go. This will be quicker. I, I, I had lots to say there. One of the greatest lies that we've been told in our hearts and our minds is that I don't have enough. And that's where this next command takes us. It's unique among all the other commands because all the other commands deal with what's out here. Don't kill someone, don't steal someone's stuff, don't, all out here. But this is the one of the 10 that says we need to deal with what's going on in here. Coveting. This is what it says. God wants us to live a satisfied life. This is what it says in the command. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. He went into a list of like six things there, house, wife, female, male servant, ox and donkeys. And you ever, you know, start listing all the things out and you're like, you know what, bug it, nothing. Don't covet anything. That's how he finishes. This is an offense to God but we in our sin are pros at desiring the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time for the wrong reason. Has anybody noticed this? We're really good at that. Walk back the wreckage of your life when things have gone wrong, when you've made your, your biggest mistakes. Here's my, here's my bet. My bet is that you were guilty in some way of coveting something in your hearts uh, that, that wasn't given to you by God that you desired and you acted on that desire and that's what made the mess. Remember, I got my first credit card in college. Katie barred the door. Mark's got plastic, right? And I didn't say no to myself anywhere. And I, you know, paid the 20 bucks a month like so many of you guys are doing if that's how you're doing it. And you're thinking, no, nah, man, I, I, don't have to say, I, can, I don't have to say no to myself. I can have everything my heart desires because I have this three-inch by two-inch square of plastic. But the bills stack up. I wanted to get married, I'd had this card for a couple years, and one of the conditions that Eleanor gave me for getting married is I had to pay that credit card off before I got married. I went through some years of lead, are you with me? I had to go without, and I had to learn to curb my desires. Because like Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I had to learn that. I'm still having to learn that. Come on, come on, people. Aren't we all still have to learn that? Every day we wake up and there's like, oh, there's been this new invention. There's been this new discovery. There's been this new thing. I don't have it. I've got to go get it. My life's incomplete without it. God says, no. Listen, at the core of of the messes of life is this desire that we call coveting. Coveting, if you want a definition, is basically this. It's us desiring for more uh, based on a belief that I don't have enough. It's my desire for more based on my belief that I don't have enough. Look what James says about coveting. He says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or desires are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel and you do not have have because you do not ask. His point there is, hey, why don't you ask God, you know, the sovereign over all things, the one who has kind of ordered stuff in your life so far and will continue to do so. Why don't you ask him if you're supposed to have this? And some of them them said, okay, I will. And so James goes on. He says, well, you asked, but you did not receive because you asked wrongly. Because what you asked for, you didn't want for the glory of God and for your good. You wanted it because you wanted it. Like that fourth piece of pumpkin pie Thursday. You didn't need it. You didn't even have room for it. But it's Thanksgiving and I'm an American. And so the fourth piece is going down. You know, our our issues aren't, well, maybe they are houses and spouses, Um, but probably not female and male servants. We're kind of past that. Certainly, I'm guessing not oxes and donkeys, but we covet things like um, people's attributes, being young if we're old, being older if we're young, looking like that person, being as smart as that person, having the talents of that person. We can covet other people's situations in life. If we're single, we wish we were married. If we were married, we wish we were single. We wish we had that kid as our kid and not our kid. We concentrate on what we don't have rather than being grateful for what we do We live like uh, Israel did in in Exodus, the if-only life. How many times did you read, as we studied the book of Exodus together, Israel saying, if only we had stayed in Egypt. If only we were still slaves. That if-only mindset comes from this sin of covetousness, us desiring what we don't have and being dissatisfied with where God has taken us and what he's given us, that this just can't be how we live. It's not what God's called us to. So we need to choose gratitude over greed and contentment over coveting. We need to choose gratitude over greed and contentment over coveting because God's called us to be satisfied with him alone. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter six, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I love that. Does everybody get the, the irony of that statement? godliness with contentment is more for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world he says uh, the bible says later in hebrews keep your life free from the love of money or the love of any other things that you don't have and be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you what's what's the writer of hebrews saying there god's enough god's enough he's more than enough there's a song about that right Let's not lie to ourselves and tell, us, tell ourselves that he is. And I'll, I'll close with this. Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, thanks them for a gift that they uh, sent him recently. But he says this. He says, but just so you know, I have learned in whatever situation I am in uh, to be content. He goes on and he says this. He says, I know how to be brought low and to live there in contentment. I know how to abound and have plenty and live in contentment there. Uh, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need of being content. You know what it is? Say it with me. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. I'm content, why? Because I've got the truth in Jesus. And in life with him, I have no needs. Does that mean I don't desire to get better or to strive or to improve? Of course, but I don't take those desires and, and strivings outside of God's design, out of, outside of God's de- enough. I am always content in whatever situation with Christ alone. He's all I need. And that's the Christ life, and that's what I wanted to tell you this morning, and now I'm done. So, May God grant us his grace to understand not just these two, but all of the commandments. May we we live by them because in doing so, we'll be like him. Everybody gets that the Ten Commandments describe the character of our God, right? And the best life we can live is a life lived for him and like him to his glory. May he grant us the, the willpower, the strength, the courage to say no to the lies that so easily tumble from our faces and our fingers. Tell the truth this week and always. And may we walk out of here, and most of us, as we walk out, get into the car that on the way here, you might have been, wish I had another one. But may you sit in that car and pray this prayer. God, thank you so much that I have car! Because most of the world doesn't. And as you raise the food that your fork is stabbed into, the leftovers from Thursday, say, God, I thank you for this food because so many people in the world don't have any right now. And your goodness to me is beyond my understanding. I deserve none of it. To you be the glory. That's how we live this life. Let me pray for us as we close. God, thank you so much for the truth. May you... Instill it in us so that we are set free. Thank you so much for providing. May we be satisfied with what you give. I pray this in Jesus' name, the truth bearer, the truth giver, the truth himself in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. God bless you. Have a great week. Talk to you next time.